Welcome to Simple Theology, a podcast connecting theology to everyday life by examining various aspects of the Christian faith. I'm Robert Kane. And I'm Rick Gromlich. You are Rick Gromlich. And today we are jumping back into the book of Joel. We've got a little bit of a debate, but we're looking at Joel chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Yeah, and the debate mostly surrounds around, is the day of the Lord something that is yet to come, or did it already happen? So tune in, you're going to hear Rob's take, you're going to hear my take, and uh, kind of how we differ, or how we are in agreement, but we're not sure what it's saying. And then we'll also hear Rob's take on Sleepless in Seattle. Ooh, and Tom little Hanks debate there, a little debate so, on the ending of Sleepless in Seattle. If you haven't watched it, watch it. Top of the morning. Top of the morning. Mm. Put that coffee away. The coffee's a little bit cold. Yeah, I, I have a tough time. So I love drinking iced coffee, mm-hmm. and especially cold brew. Yeah. But man, I have a tough time when I my coffee's hot. If it starts to get room temperature, oh, I'm yeah. I'm not as big of a fan. Like some guys can just sip on it and sip on it and sip on it, and even when it gets room temperature and a little cold, like they're fine. Yep. I just feel like. I am wasting an entire cup of coffee if it gets to room temperature. Yeah, that's true. I have a tough time with it. That's all right, man. Hey, that's okay. You do coffee your way. From <laughs> the onset, way. from the onset of this podcast, listen, people have known Rob, Rob and his coffee. That's, dude, that's true. Thing. I remember that episode so, where I was, I was uh, hating on Folgers. Yeah. Yep. And now you serve Folgers at your church services. We so. do not. We do not. We what do you guys serve? Stoffs. Mission. Stoffs. Okay. Hi-yo. What do you? What's your coffee budget? Oh, we don't. We actually don't spend a lot on coffee because we're we, Stoffs connected us with like a wholesale account. Oh, so it would good. literally be almost the same price to go to Kroger and buy a big thing of Folgers as it would be to have like some, some custom stuffs. or not custom, but like craft craft custom exactly exactly no we don't have that but we get ethiopian yogurt chef and it's good ethiopians they know how to grow it i'm telling you man and we get it for pretty darn dollar yeah he's on the dollar pretty darn cheap you know where it has really good coffee seattle they're famous for it Ooh, dude okay thank you for transitioning to that because we just watched sleepless in seattle Danielle's seen it, I don't know, probably a hundred times. I've never seen wow, it. Wow, that's a lot. And it, okay, don't, it wasn't actually a hundred times. <laughs> You've got to be I, kidding I, me. A lot of respect for Danielle, but a hundred times. <laughs> wow, talk about wasting your life. <laughs> They're, uh, I've never seen it. We've been watching a strange amount of Tom Hanks movies recently. <laughs> we saw Castaway. And I don't know, probably a few months before that. We saw what's the bookstore one? Um, um, you've got mail. You've got mail. Yeah, and then she was feeling like she wanted to watch Sleepers in Seattle, so started it, didn't finish it, and then finished it last night. And I gotta tell you, man, good movie. Mm-hmm. One of the strangest endings to a movie I have yeah. ever seen. Yeah, like yeah. this guy shows up, 
guys, spoiler alert, but you've had plenty of time to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> I will say I just watched it a, a few weeks ago when I was sick yeah. for the first time. And I've always, like, everyone's heard of this movie. It's a famous yeah. movie. And um, somehow I just have never seen it. And it, it's really it. a feel-good movie. Like, yeah. there's not a, a real part to the movie where you're, like, going through, like, a season of pain of, like, oh, man, how's this going to be resolved? How's this going to be resolved? Like, it's all just building up to the end. And mm. Like, you kind of know where it's going is what you mean. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's, it's a good movie. I would watch it again today yeah, if somebody wanted to watch it. Like, e- easy watch. But the ending, I was like, is this actually the ending? This, that's it? And that's it, it. Be, because they end up on the, what is it? The, it's not the Sears, is it the Sears Tower? Or is it no, the Empire State Building? Chicago. Yeah. Empire State Building. Empire State Building. And he meets her for the first time. Yep. He says, it's you. And she says, it's me. Yep. And then they hold hands and walk into the elevator. And he like just keeps awkwardly, like he won't take his eyes off her. Yeah. And she is, like, looking at him. Then she looks straight ahead to walk toward the elevator with him. Then she looks to to her side, back at him, and he, like, won't take his eyes off of her. And I'm like, dude, if this is the first time you ever meet, and the guy's, like, this eye locked on you, I'd be a little concerned. Yeah, but see, the thing is, with that movie, the one of the themes is, like, that there's this, like, there's a difference between, like, being in love and then, like, the one. Yeah, the magic. Like, like, the, ma- felt, like when you magic. have the one, there's, like, the magic. They, like, when they yeah. hold your hand, when they touch you, when they look at you, like, yeah. it's different. Yeah, and that's and so, absolutely what they were trying to convey there at the end. Exactly. And they right. both found it. Da, 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 da. Cool. But, man, I was like, so this, they got in the elevator. Like, are, are we going to see what happens with their relationship? Like, clearly the implication is they're happily ever after. Mm-hmm. I was like. Oh, okay. They met, and we got to see them meet, and that's the end of the movie. There you go. All right. Uh, how how would you rewrite it? Though? I thought about this. Like, if I were to rewrite the ending, like, are you just gonna create one more scene where they like have a wedding or a scene no, no, no? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like the house, the, the person life? watching it would like to have it flash to a wedding or something like that, and yeah. see them like I don't know, like oh great, they did end up getting married, great, da da da. da. Yeah. But I, but I do think that. The way that they did it was was fine because mm-hmm. you finished watching the movie and you're like, man, that that was great. Like you feel really yeah. good because they didn't jump to a wedding. It, the implication is everything was happily ever after. And so you, know you finish yeah. watching it like, okay, pretty sure everything's resolved. Great, that's yeah. awesome. That's it. But all we got to see like of their relationship was them meeting, holding hands, saying it's me, it's me. Okay. That's it. That's it. Okay, so my one beef with the movie, I only watched one time, and I don't know why we keep riffing on this, but they, um, <laughs> it's just how, like, she Welcome ends up breaking movies. with... <laughs> she ends up breaking up with her fiancé. Yeah. It's like, it's like, hey, I don't love you. He's like, oh, okay, cool. Well, hey, see you later. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, what? I, I thought I thought the same thing. I was... I was that like, was that. they rough. both seem to be taking that fine, especially him. Yeah. yeah. Like, He's like, I... I yeah. think I can do better anyway, I guess, was his thought. So Yeah, I, I like that guy, whoever he is. He's a guy from Independence Day, the president in Independence yeah. Day. He's, yeah. I think he's the dad on Casper, too. Um, Casper, too, or Casper? <laughs> Casper, T-O-O. Well. <laughs> Casper, as well. Good clarification. Anyway, yeah. enough of all that stuff. Yeah. Um, Rob, I'm glad you got Speaking of, in, in of not appreciating the end, <laughs> <laughs> there is an end <laughs> that... <laughs> 
<laughs> such a choppy. There is an end that we will Speaking appreciate. Speaking of Seattle. Yeah. Um. <laughs> that end is called the Day of the Lord, and it just so happens that today, as we continue through Joel, we are looking at the Day of the Lord. So we are in Joel. We're continuing Joel. We're looking at Joel 2, verses 1 through 11. Rick, you want me to read that, or you got it? You got it. Okay, so here's the thing. As I read it, listener... Think through, because, Rick, can you give us a brief recap of what we've covered in the first chapter before I read this? Yeah. So, in chapter one of Joel, we see Joel beginning with kind of a, a call to the elders and then a call to people, hey, remember um, the, the judgment of the Lord through locusts. Talk about the locusts coming, the locusts devastating um, the land and a call to repentance. It's kind of a, a poem, chapter one, and then chapter two is kind of a, a, another poem kind of fit together. Yeah, great. Thank you for that. So now as I read chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, before I even get into it, as I read it, listen for which side you fall on, listener, because there's a debate, even like within really reliable resources that say whether this is Joel describing more so this coming locust invasion or describing a a coming army that is a quote-unquote like a greater invasion Mm -hmm. so the first chapter joel one talking about a locust invasion chapter two talking about hey like this is the the real like big invasion coming the first one was locust that was kind of figurative for the or not figurative but it was precursing the um, greater army to come and joel's talking about that now or is joel just continuing to talk about the locust as i read it think through that we're going to present both both views, but um, and just all cards on the table. I don't have a strong opinion one way or the other. I'm still trying to figure out which one I am inclined toward. But as I read this, think through which one you feel like makes mo- the most sense, and then we'll get into it. So Joel chapter 2, verse 1. Blow a trumpet in Zion. Sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming. It is near, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Like blackness, there is spread upon the mountains a great and powerful people. Their like has never been before, nor will be again after them through the years of all generations. Fire devours before them, and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, but behind them a desolate wilderness, and nothing escapes them. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses, and like war horses they run. As with the rumbling of chariots, they leap on the tops of the mountains, like the crackling of a flame of fire, devouring the stubble, like a powerful army drawn up for battle. Before them peoples are in anguish, all faces grow pale, like warriors they charge. Like soldiers, they scale the wall. They march each on his way. They do not swerve from their paths. They do not jostle one another. Each marches in his path. They burst through the weapons and are not halted. They leap upon the city. They run upon the walls. They climb up into the houses. They enter through the windows like a thief. The earth quakes before them. The heavens tremble. The sun and the moon are darkened, and the stars withdraw their shining. The Lord utters his voice before his army, for his camp is exceedingly great. He who executes his word is powerful, for the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who 
can endure it. There it is. All right, Rick, what is it? Well, it's the day of the Lord. Um, and as you were saying earlier, Rob, there's, there's kind of a, a difference of opinion. And, and um, so one side is that this is um, more locusts, uh, a kind of infestation of um, creatures, if you will, locusts who come and, and bring more devastation. Um, other people, and I'd say probably more people, or as I've been reading, just more commentators believe it's an actual literal army. So they're, they're talking about the locusts, the destruction and devastation in chapter one. And then they're talking, you know, the past and now a potential, an imminent future devastation brought about by a physical, literal army. Um, and even within that, there is some kind of discussion or disagreement on to what, what army was that or is that. Um, because if Joel was written before the exile, before... Um, the nation of Israel carried off into exile, then this could have been a prophecy about the Assyrians who came and invaded or the Babylonians who came and invaded um, and occupied. So if it's pre-exile, that seems pretty obvious. However, we don't know if yeah. Joel was written before or after. And if it was written after, then it would seem that either Joel is talking about just some impending judgment brought about by the other nations around them, that God's going to use, or he's talking about the final day, like the final day of the Lord, referring to Christ coming and setting all things right. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, I, some, there's some opinions, different things happening here. In yeah. So, chapter so let's, two. let's look at it, man, because I am looking. Let's um, take a look. And so, what's evidence in this passage for the locusts? Well, a lot of people would say that chapter one and chapter two flow together, okay. so it's a continuous thought. Okay, and they're talking about locusts in chapter one clearly, and then as you flow into chapter two, that it seems odd to, to jump out and say, "Okay, now we're we're talking about something different," yep. right? So that's the first argument that, that I've read and come across. Um, however, people often say, like, when you look later um, in in verse seven. Um, like warrior, they charge. Like soldiers, they scale the wall. Uh, talking about like some clear military um, language, like an army, an actual army. I think even the ESV or the the NIV historically uh, has translated that as um, an army. Like oh, really? A army. So, um, but yeah, one of the com- like we've dug into several commentaries, but according to the, the Bible Knowledge Commentary, they talk about how this is one of the. In- interpretive problems and it says um the, this invading force is described in in locust like terms to establish continuity with joel chapter one at the same time the comparison is a literal army in verse four verse five verse seven and hints at this the reality of it being an actual army um and so that's kind of the, the two different arguments there yeah i think that the the verse 11 the Lord utters his voice before his army, for his camp is exceedingly great. He who executes his word is powerful. The second part of verse 11, for the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? And this is kind of the theme of this passage, the day of the Lord. So what are we are we talking about? Like, what's that look like? The language of the day of the Lord is used um, throughout the minor prophets, throughout the scriptures, and even in the New Testament. And they're all referring to the same thing, but somewhat different things at the same time. So they're all referring to God bringing his judgment or enacting his plan. 
in a specific intentional way. Yeah. And I want to clarify, like the Lord at this very moment is sustaining and holding the universe together. Every single element, every cell, every molecule, he's holding together. So he's, yeah, he's enacting his will at this moment. But in the Minor Prophets, talking about the day of the Lord, he's talking about a specific, um, unusual, the Lord stepping in and, and bringing something about. And, and then in the New Testament, we hear Paul even use this language, talking about uh, the Christological kind of working of, of Christ to bring all things about in more of a um, <clears throat> eschatological uh, framework. That the, that the Lord, the, the day, like the day of the Lord is coming. Yeah. Christ will, again, set all things right. Yeah. As I'm, as I'm looking at this, I, I am not seeing a lot of army language in chapter one, and I'm just looking real quick. Um, yeah. So I, I could be overlooking something here. So again, further evidence that it, it could very well be a human army. Because now in chapter two, we're seeing a lot of army references, whereas in chapter one, um, when we were talking, or when it was referencing the locust said, for a nation has mm-hmm. come up against my land, powerful and beyond number, its teeth are like lion's teeth, and it has the fangs of a lioness, mm-hmm. talking about the teeth of the locust in, mm-hmm. in chapter one, verse six. Now chapter two, you see a lot of military language, the... Um, chapter 7, where you were talking about like warriors, they charge like soldiers, they scale the wall, to give credit to the side that says it still is the locust, that language there, it says like warriors, yeah. they yeah. charge like soldiers, implying that they're not, but they're similar to, or what was it, verse 10, the earthquakes before them, the heavens tremble, the sun and the moon are darkened, and the stars withdraw their shining, as if whatever this... Mm-hmm quote-unquote army is, even the things above us that we look up to are darkened because the army has overtaken them, could be evidence for a massive locust army that, unlike any that we've ever seen before. Or these are Black Hawk helicopters. Yeah, yeah it, it could it totally is, be that you know? too. <laughs> this piece. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, no, I, I yeah. mean, but there is truth to that. Like that, these yeah. aren't talking about Black Hawk helicopters, but like in the final day of the Lord, that's like there will be great military battles and things. I think that um, either way, like chapter one, we see the focus is on the devastation of the land and the price that was paid because of people's um, sin and unrepentance. Yes, and in chapter two, we see that. Joel reminding them of that and saying, listen, devastation is coming. Now, we'll get into it next week where he's he's saying, um, I'm just going to read chapter or verse 12 of chapter 2. It says, yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your hearts, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Yeah. And so, so chapter 1, the devastation was brought. Like, it was experienced. It was done. Chapter 2, listen, this is coming if you don't repent. Yeah. Um, and, and, and there's just this reminder that wickedness, sinfulness on a, um, on a, I don't say a corporate scale, but like across the culture, across the, the people, like it brings about not just the judgment of God, but it just, it just brings about destruction to, yeah. to the, the society, to the community and to our own hearts. And so often like we can, we can kind of hide our own, our own sin. I yeah. think what's well, not, it's not really affecting 
my it's not affecting my wife or my kids or my neighbor. And like we don't see sin having this accumulative effect on a culture because it's it's kind of what I do by myself. But that's not how sin works. Yeah. Um, you know, evil, wickedness is all from the same source, and it's all. Um, campaigning, if you will, for the same thing and marching in the same direction. Yeah, and it's not like a cold where, like, oh, this person's a cold. They're they're not connected. It's just random. No, like all the forces of the of the evil one are um, working towards the same end. Yep, yep. We so that that's good. Just we we mentioned before on another. I think it was the last episode that. Our sin never just affects us. Mm-hmm. There's always um, ripple effects, and whether it's because it is directly associated with somebody else, or because it affects us and therefore indirectly um, affects somebody else, our sin is is far more destructive than what we give it credit to, and we see destruction coming upon the people of God here because of their sin. There now it, it says here right at the beginning, chapter or chapter two, verse one: "Blow a trumpet in Zion." Can you? Describe just briefly for listeners what Zion is. Yeah, so um, I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but the the place of Zion, like God's God's people. Um, yeah. So there's there's a lot of different language as to like Zion. Um, what's the word like Zionists or whatever? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so the 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 people place of God, his his people. Yeah. That's what I would say. Yeah, no, um, that's the ESV study Bible says Zion is the place of the Lord's throne. Yeah. The word generally refers to the temple region, but could also signify Jerusalem okay. in, its in, in its entirety. And so we're just talking about how, like, hey, the, this is God's people, and mm-hmm. this God will establish his throne, even if that means bringing judgment on his people to establish it. And so there's we see God here bringing his judgment on his own people, and we, we've talked about this before, but God bringing his judgment even on his own people is ultimately for their good because it's to bring them back to him. He's never going to take somebody that is his and cast them out. Now, what we see is God bringing judgment on his own people for the sake of their salvation. So, brother, sister, you may go through a valley. You may go through some form of judgment from God for unrepentant sin in your life, but if you are in Christ, then what's going to happen is God is going to use that temporary judgment to bring about um, a far greater eternal salvation. And so just wanted to point that out, that Zion, blow trumpet in Zion, sound alarm on my holy mountain, God is bringing judgment on his own people. Yeah. Now, he's also going to judge the nations, So that, but there's, there's a different kind of judgment. Um, we talked on a previous episode that the Lord disciplines the one that he loves. And so there is a kindness to God to bring about the kind of judgment in, in the life of his people that brings about repentance and a closer communion with him. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, go, oh, go ahead. Yeah. And just, well, just in this idea, like that's the graciousness of the Lord in that. Um, the Lord is working his plan to redeem and sanctify his people. Yeah. We see that, I think, in the Old Covenant. We see in the New Covenant, the same Lord's working his plan. Um, and that's a grace. Like, the Lord <clears throat> did not need to send Joel. He didn't need mm-hmm. to say to, to Joel, like, hey, you need to, you know. Um, 
he could just like I'm good. Like I, you know, it's not like he had like wagers on this. He's like, man, I gotta make, I gotta turn this nation around, or else I'm gonna lose. I'm gonna be out a bunch of you know money, or I'm gonna be out, or I'm gonna, I'm gonna be the laughing stock of whatever. Like he wasn't worried about all those things. Yeah, but lovingly and graciously, he sought the people, and he knew what he needed to bring. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, I think it's yeah. good. There's also, it's worth noting in, in verse 2, where we see a day of darkness and gloom. Yeah. So this, this day of darkness um, can, it could refer to the fact that the, there are locusts and it's very dark. The sun isn't shining through because of the swarm of locusts. It could be literal or it could be figurative darkness in that, man, God's people are, are under siege and this is a very dark time. But something worth noting is that darkness is some borrowed language from when the Lord appeared at, at Sinai, Mount Sinai. So when he mm-hmm. was, um, when Moses was up on the mountain, we see he's up on this mountain for 40 days and there is great smoke around the mountain. And then when he comes down, his face is shining because he's yeah. been in the in the presence of God, and he comes down with the Ten Commandments. But God's presence was very clearly on the mountain, and one of the ways that that was signified was through this darkness, this cloud that was around the mountain. And then um, we see again, like when the people of God, the nation of Israel is being led, they're being led by a pillar of cloud by day, pillar mm-hmm. of fire by night. We yeah. see some more of that, that darkness, Deuteronomy 4.11. And you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain, while the mountain burned with fire to the heart of heaven, wrapped in darkness, cloud, and gloom. And so there's this consistent um, thing that, that God is being, where you see this sh- big cloud of darkness. It's not because God is dark, in fact, quite the opposite, but mm-hmm. this appearance of the Lord is so magnificent that some would argue that the fact that there is a cloud of darkness is to veil some of his glory so that the destruction of his people doesn't come right away. So when we see this darkness language in verse 2 there, we should remind us of the other times in which God's presence was um, surrounded by a cloud of darkness, essentially to protect the people. Mm, Yeah. That's a good word. That's good, Rob. So as we discussed this, did you figure out where you land on the no. the little differences there? No, I don't. I yeah. have to do a little bit more reading on it. Yeah. Well, I think either way, it does help us form how we think through this. Um, just Joel and understanding like, okay, for us as a people, as we read Joel today, it's good to know historically the context and all those things. It's also good that we kind of understand how the Lord was working in the people. Yeah. So we can we can kind of walk through our um, we haven't done this for a long time, but kind of head, heart, hands, and how we like yeah, we take this good. truth and um, just in our like with our head, like we we begin to understand how the, the kind of the poem in, in verse chapter one and chapter two, this idea that that God is bringing judgment. Um, he brings rightful judgment. The day of the Lord, when we hear that, it's talking about God kind of bringing judgment. And we see that in different ways in some of the different uh, prophetic books. But we know that theologically that, that all is a foreshadowing of, of Christ and when he comes in that day of judgment. Yeah. Um, when it comes to heart, I'd say that our hearts should 
have a, I don't want to say, I mean, maybe I should say a godly disposition mm-hmm. toward our Father so that a understanding or a um, trying to see what the Father is doing by bringing judgment. Yeah. So it's, I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm not looking for, I'm not eager to be disciplined and to be right. chastised, you know what I mean? But if I have a great confidence that this is ultimately for my good, and if I, if I have a great confidence that this is ultimately God's kindness toward me, then my heart during that, during that season of discipline, mm-hmm. that during that season of judgment is different because I have a great trust that the Lord is working there. And so understanding that our sin does bring about judgment, our sin does bring about discipline, but those whom the Lord disciplines, He loves. And if you experience consequences for your sin today, stop, consider how the Lord may be using that to bring you to repentance and to bring you to a closer relationship with Him. And then as you consider that, consider God's kindness in ever addressing it. Because if he didn't, then we would just go on in our unrepentant sin and we would be experience God's judgment for eternity. But for him to bring some small temporary judgment, some small temporary discipline, and judgment may not be the right word. I think think listeners understand what I'm getting at here, though, that that is for our good so that we would Mm -hmm. not experience the wrath of God, his final judgment for all eternity. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And and the way that I think forms the way that we live, what we like practically is, you know, we see in Micah he's he's saying blow the trumpet like listen, the Lord the day of the Lord is near, let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. And and for even for us, there should be a, a, a trembling of man, our time is limited. God has put us here to be on mission and we wanna we wanna share the gospel. Yeah. And also at the same time, we're we're not to be a people of fear. Of the, like if we're believers uh, we're walking with the Lord we there's not we shouldn't be fearful about the coming uh, of the Lord you know in first John four, or chapter four um, he just perfect love casts out fear and yeah. that that verse is talking about the judgment of believers if we are believers and first John is talking about how, how do we know if we're believers right so it goes through these three tests the social test the moral test the doctrinal test like do we do we love God do we love his church do we love his people um, and does our, does our, our life display that truly and if we're following him for if, if we're Christians, then we're not to be fearful, like, oh my gosh, I wonder what's going to happen when I, when the Lord comes. Yeah. But there should be a, a weight, a significance to the day of the Lord is coming. Yeah. And we do have to stand before the Lord. And so we want we want other people to, to know and to love the Lord. And we too practically want to live in a way that brings honor to Him and that sees the wickedness around us and is not disparaged because we know what Christ is going to do. Yeah. But, so we don't we don't get apathetic either. But we are we're humble, we're gracious, and we, we put our faith and our hope in the Lord. Yeah. He will bring he will make all of that right. I was just preaching on that yesterday, just as we were going through Mark, came to chapter twelve, verses one through twelve, and it was talking about how the Lord is going to return and he is going to uh, destroy wicked tenants, those who led his people astray, and just kind of hit on the theme that man, every wrong that we see in this life, every injustice that we see is going to be corrected 
Mm-hmm. And so we can we can live confidently today because we don't feel like we have to make everything right ourselves. We can trust the yes. Lord for that. So amen. yes and amen to, to what you yes, were saying. Amen. Anything else on this, Rick, before we close out? All right. Tune in next week as we um, recap. Um, you've got mail. <laughs> Listeners, let us know if you think that Joel chapter 2, 1 through 11 is talking about a locust army or if it is talking about a physical army. Persuade us. Let us know. Peace out, y'all. Peace. Peace.